Well, Brother Jeremy is our preacher tonight. We had him scheduled for a three Sunday night series on the King James uh, Bible that he does such a wonderful job in. It's been three years since he's taught that. Uh, we were out in the gymnasium while this was being remodeled, and I thought, boy, it's time again to bring that back up, but uh, we're going to delay that a little bit till after Easter, and I plan on having a series of the cross, and I need some of you preachers to help me with that. Uh, the sayings of the cross each Sunday night up to Easter, which is only a few weeks away. And uh, I appreciate Brother Jeremy. He's a good follower. I mean, a good follower. That's what I can say about him. Uh, he ties, or he would never preach up here. Uh, he goes soul winning and visiting and uh, speaks to people one-on-one, -on -one, or he wouldn't preach here or anywhere else, in my opinion, because I believe you ought to be willing to preach one-on-one -on -one and soul win and witness and go out visiting. He does all that. Uh, he probably came to this church for the wrong reason. He came here to meet a girl, amen, and he married one of our best, Miss Angie, over here, and uh, I'll never forget, it was a revival, I believe it was, wasn't it? I think it was a revival, might have been awesome preaching in August, revival, and uh, boy, the first night he came, he found her, and uh, he got her phone number, and uh, to make a long story short, they've been married 27 years, no, not that long, amen, a long time, and uh, stole one of our best. And I appreciate Brother Jeremy so much, and I want him to come preach uh, tonight, and I want you to open up your hearts, open up your Bibles, and get something out of it. Amen. That was a wonderful Sunday school lesson this morning, wasn't it? Praise God for that. Brother, you make yourself home because you are. Amen. 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 If you would, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 19. Genesis chapter number 19. Let me say it's good to be here tonight, always with Whitfield Baptist Church. I love you all to death, and anytime I get to preach the Word of God here, I consider it a privilege and an honor. We're going to be looking at one verse in the book of Genesis chapter 19. If you would, let's go ahead and stand when you find your place. Genesis 19, verse number 26. Genesis 19, verse number 26. We're going to read one verse. The Bible says... But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Um, you can be seated at this time. We're looking at this verse. It says, this is a strange story of a woman. She's the wife of the mayor of Sodom, and she's fleeing the doomed city. As she looks back at the destruction of the city, she's frozen in her tracks. She becomes a mere piece of statuary on the banks of the Dead Sea. Now this would be just a um, maybe a strange story for us to tell, maybe something that we would sit around a campfire and share one with another. Um, but Jesus, 2,000 years later, looked at this story and read into this story a message that was relevant in His day, just as it is relevant in our day. He heard from those frozen lips a statement that if we can just abide by and understand, it will impact our life. He said to His disciples concerning this, He said to them, in the book of Luke, chapter number 17, verse 32, He said, Remember Lot's wife. So I think just a few moments that we spend here looking at the mayor's wife, I think it will be a benefit to us in our Christian walk. Let's join together in a word of prayer before we begin the message. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this opportunity we have to study Your Word. I pray that you will speak to hearts. Let something that is said this evening help us in our understanding of the Scripture and also help us in our daily walk for you. In Jesus' name I pray, 
Amen. Now, my first question I want to ask is, who was this woman? Who was this woman? Many of y'all would look at me if you were to answer that question and say, well, the Bible doesn't tell us much about who this woman was. But I beg to differ. The Bible actually tells us a good bit about this woman. Let me tell you a few things about her. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. The mayor's wife, Lot's wife, belonged to an excellent family. She belonged to an excellent family. Through her family being married into um, the family of Abraham through Lot, she was part of a family that produced the greatest prophets, the greatest preachers that ever lived. The greatest prophets and preachers that ever lived. I think of men such as Isaiah and Jeremiah, men such as Daniel, men as Elijah and Samuel. These great men were all part of the family that she was a part of. Not only that, but great preachers, men like Paul and Peter and Stephen and John, all were a part of this same family. Why, this same family also produced some of the greatest kings and some of the sweetest singers we ever knew. Think of it, kings such as Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived next to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Men such as Hezekiah, all came from this family. Why, when a friend or a family member um, passes away and we are in sorrow of a heart, standing by the graveside, many times a preacher has stood by the grave of a dearly departed loved one and read these words, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And as we hear the words of Psalm 23, do we not realize that it was through her family that those words would be penned by the psalmist David? Yes, she belonged to an excellent family. But let's not even just look at the great prophets and preachers, the great kings and singers that this family produced. Why, this family produced the greatest man that ever walked the face of the earth. More than a man, he is the Son of God, Jesus Christ came from this family. Wouldn't you agree with me that she belonged to an excellent family? But not only did she belong to an excellent family, she also shared an excellent faith. You see, she was related to Abraham. And Lot, very early on in the travels of Abraham, decided to follow after his uncle, his brother, I mean his father, Abraham's brother, had passed away back in the land of Haran. And when Abraham decided to go out there into um, the unknown, at the, um, at the behest of God, Lot decided to go with him. And Lot followed Abraham, and if you can just picture this in your mind, when Abraham would stop at a place to settle down for a time, Abraham would build his tent, pitch his tent, then he would go and he would build an altar. And I imagine every night, Abraham and Sarah would get on their knees to pray. I imagine there was Lot and his wife there as well, bending their knee. Now at the time that Abraham lived, it was over 4,000 years ago, they did not have one book of the Bible in Abraham's day. If they wanted to know what the Word of God was, they had to listen to Abraham because God was speaking directly to Abraham. She heard the Word of God. She um, entered into the worship services of Abraham. Can you imagine being in a worship service with Abraham? Yes, I would say she shared an excellent faith. Even though she was in an excellent family, even though she shared an excellent faith, there came a time 
when she made a worldly decision. There came a time when she, along with her husband, made a worldly decision. Now we know the story. Abraham and Lot, they had herds, and God had blessed both Abraham and Lot so much that the herds of Abraham and the herds of Lot could not stay in the same place. There was not enough grass for their herds. There was not enough water to to give them sustenance. So Abraham, being the mature person, the spiritual person, came to Lot and began to make a proposition to him. Before I tell you the proposition, let me just go back just one second. I think this will be a blessing to each and every one of you here in understanding what we need to do here at Whitfield Baptist Church. The Bible said that Abraham was blessed and Lot was blessed. But the Bible never once says that God promised Lot that He would bless him. Who did um, God promise to bless? Abraham. Yet Lot received a blessing as well. Why is that? Because as I said earlier, many years ago, Lot decided he was going to follow Abraham. He saw something in his uncle that he did not see in the rest of his family. And he decided it would be better for him to follow his uncle than to stay with the rest of his family in the land of Haran. So he followed after the man of God. And as Lot followed the man of God, as God blessed Abraham, he blessed Lot. Now, what's the application of that for us today? Understand this. God does not bless ministries. He doesn't bless ministries. He blesses men. Many ministries rise and fall, but it's always based on men. Men rise. Men fall. If they follow God, they are blessed by God. Here at Whitfield Baptist Church, our pastor is Wayne Cofield. And if you will understand this, you will receive a special blessing God will give the vision for this church of the direction it needs to go to our pastor. And our pastor will relay that vision to us. We as a congregation can decide whether we're going to follow that vision or fight that vision. And the blessings of God will be resulted according to our decision. Remember, Abraham was blessed by God and Lot was blessed by God because Lot chose to follow the man of God at that day. Let us as Christians also be mindful to follow our pastor, to listen to his leadership. When he wants us to be there for visitation, when he wants us to work in the ministries of the church, let's not complain. Let's not say we could do it another way. Let's go with him. And as God blesses Brother Wayne, those other blessings will follow on us as well. Abraham was blessed. Lot was blessed. They had great herds. And Abraham goes to Lot and says, Look, we can't, we can't stay together. Our, our herdmen, our servants are fighting one another. So I'm going to make this proposition to you, Lot. You choose one direction to go. Whether it be north, east, south, or west. You choose whatever direction you want to go, and I'm going to go the opposite direction. Now, I know many of y'all have heard that Lot sinned by looking at Sodom and deciding to go in that direction. Going to Sodom was not a sin. Or going in the direction of Sodom was not a sin. I can show you why. Abraham said whichever direction Lot chose to go, he would go the opposite direction, correct? Lot chose to go east. 
towards Sodom. So which direction did Abraham go? He went west. Now, what if Lot chose to go west? Where would Abraham have gone? Being in Sodom was not sin. Understand this. There needs to be Christians in some of the most sinful places in this world today. There needs to be Christians in New York City. There needs to be Christians in Washington, D.C. There needs to be Christians in Hollywood. There needs to be Christians in Las Vegas. There needs to be a testimony of Jesus Christ everywhere. There was no problem in Lot choosing to go to Sodom. However, there was a problem with Sodom moving in to Lot. And that's the progression we begin to see here. I'm going to show you three verses in the book of Genesis, and I want them to be compared to the first verse of the book of Psalms, um, Psalm 1. Psalm 1.1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Think of those statements right there. Number one, blessed is the man that doesn't walk. Hey, second, blessed is the man that doesn't stand. And then third, blessed is the man that doesn't sit. Do you see a regression? A man who is first walking and then stops and then sits down. He settles. We see this with Lot in the book of Genesis. If you would, you can turn there if you want to. The book of Genesis chapter number 13, verse 12. The Bible says, And Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. That's his first thing. Now, what does it mean to pitch your tent towards Sodom? Well, in a tent, every tent back in that day had one entrance. The way you came in and the way you came out of your tent. When Lot pitched his tent, he started pitching his tent so that that flap that he came in and out of was pointed at Sodom. And think of this. Every morning when Lot got up from his sleep, he would come out, he would stretch himself, and what was he looking at every morning when he got up? He was looking at Sodom. Now, he saw many things going on at Sodom. He saw the sin of Sodom. I imagine it bothered him at first to see that sin. But he also saw other things. He saw the wealth of Sodom. He saw the social um, groups of Sodom. He saw the fame and the power that could come from being a citizen of Sodom. And pretty soon, when he was looking at Sodom, those things that were sinful became not as disgusting to him. They didn't stink to him anymore. And instead, he was focused on just what Sodom could provide him. I'm afraid we as Christians are the exact same way. The best example of this is TV. I remember my mom and dad told me a story. My mom, when she was growing up, my mom's family had the second color television in the city of Macon. They bought the second one. I think the mayor bought the first one. They had the second color television in Macon. So they were able to watch TV in color. Years would pass, and we get into the 70s, and a TV show comes on called All in the Family. Anybody remember All in the Family, Archie Bunker, and all those people? All in the Family, did you know this, was the first television show ever to say a cuss word. It was the first TV show ever to say a cuss word. And my mama remembers this very well. She said, one day they're watching All in the Family, and Archie Bunker lets out a cuss word. And as soon as that happened, my grandfather gets up and he goes over to the television set and cuts it off and he says, I'm not going to have that kind of language in my house. And that was the end of it. TV was over for that night. 
Some of y'all may remember something like that going on in your own house. But here's my question. When's the last time you cut off a television because you heard a cuss word? Or you saw something that a Christian shouldn't be looking at? You know what it is? We've seen it so much, we've gotten used to it. And the thing that used to disgust us isn't as disgusting anymore because there's something else we like. We like the action. We like the comedy. We like whatever it is, the relationship. And so we abandon our standards. That reminds me, verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, verse, um, chapter 13, verse 12, excuse me, reminds me of the first statement of Psalms 1-1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. If you go exactly another chapter over to Genesis 14.12, we see this statement being made. It says in chapter 14, verse 12, And they took Lot who dwelt in Sodom. One chapter over, he's no longer pitching his tent towards Sodom. Now he's living in the city of Sodom. He has bought a house and he's living in the city of Sodom. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Let me go quickly one more verse. Genesis 19.1, the Bible says, And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Not only was he just a citizen of Sodom, now he is what we would consider by sitting in the gate of Sodom, what we would call today the mayor of Sodom. He was in control of the business of the city. What came in and what came out had to be approved by Lot. Any disputes in the city, you went to the gate and Lot listened to him and he made his decision. He was in effect the mayor of the city. Now no one becomes the mayor of a city one day, just decides I'm going to get up and become the mayor of the city. If I decided to get up, I live in Ringgold and decided to be um, tomorrow the mayor of the city of Ringgold and I walked over to City Hall and I knocked on the mayor's door and told him to get out cut the name off the window on the front of his door and put my name up. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to be thrown out. Maybe even arrested for that kind of statement nowadays. No, how do you become the mayor of the city? The people of the city have to choose you to be the person they're going to, that's going to represent them. And they usually choose somebody who is the best representative of that city. Would you not agree? And That's what Lot was. They felt he was their best representative. If you want to know what Sodom was, look at Lot. He had bought into the program. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Lot had ceased from walking by sin. He ceased from just standing and looking at sin. Now he settled down, and he sat down in the middle of it. But even though they had made a bad choice, they were never left alone. The Bible says this, that Lot and his wife was the object of the pious prayers of Uncle Abraham. Abraham would get on his knees every night and pray for Lot and his family. While one day God appeared to Abraham and Abraham began to make a bargain with God for the sake of Lot and his family, including his wife. Now that tells you something about Abraham, and it tells you something about Lot and his family. Imagine having someone like Abraham praying for you. What a blessing that would be, wouldn't you agree? Some of us might say in the back of our minds, if there was anybody that God would listen to, surely He would listen to Abraham. And to have Abraham praying for us had to be a great comfort to Lot and his family. Not only that, but let me just tell you this. She was the object of the watchful care of God Himself. 
She was the object of the watchful care of God Himself. God told Abraham, I'm sending my two angels into Sodom to see what is going on in the city. Now, we think about that for a minute. They're going to investigate the sin in the city. God's God. He knows exactly what's going on in the city, right? It's an interesting statement, sending His angels in there to investigate it. And one more thing, by the way. When the three men come to Abraham, understand that is not a picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is not a picture of the Trinity in the Old Testament. That is God with two angels. The the, um, text bears that out. By the way, the person who showed up that day of the Trinity was Jesus Christ. Every time you see God in the appearance of a man in the Old Testament, it is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. The two angels are sent down there. God doesn't need anybody to investigate. Why are the angels going there? They're being sent after Lot and his wife. Now, I don't know about you, but I've looked in the Bible. God usually only has to send one angel to handle a situation. Hey, when Adam and Eve sinned, He put one angel in the Garden of Eden, and that was enough to guard that tree of life. Hey, not only that, God, for um, the announcement of the birth of Samson, sent only one angel to Manoah. Hey, we go a little further, right before the battle of Jericho. Joshua is going to investigate it. He runs into an angel, captain of the host of the Lord. It's only one person, though. Hey, when the city of Jerusalem is about to be destroyed by the Assyrian army, God only sends one angel to destroy the entire Syrian army. But for Lot and his wife, he sends two. And they go down there. Yes, Lot was the and his wife were the objects of the pious prayers of Abraham and also the watchful care of God. What a blessing to know that. She was a woman of fine opportunities, but let me also say she had one thing that we don't have, and that's right here, the Word of God. This is our instruction book for life. It'll give us direction. It'll let us know what we must do as Christians in our daily walk. It'll let you know how to be a good father. It'll let you know how to be a good mother. It'll let you know how to be a good employee. It'll let you know how to be a good boss. It'll let you know how to be the man that God wants you to be in this world. And ladies, it'll let you know what kind of woman God wants you to be in this world as well. She was a woman of fine opportunities. But in spite of all her opportunities, she failed. In spite of all her opportunities, she failed. Why did she fail? Why did she fail? Well, first, let me say this. She did not fail because of unbelief. Why, the angels came with the message that the city was going to be destroyed, and she believed the message of God's judgment that was about to fall on Sodom. And that makes her way ahead of most people in this world today. You know, this world today does not want to hear about the judgment of God does not want to hear that God will punish sin. They do not want to hear about hell. One preacher had this to say. He said one day he had finished preaching a message and a lady came up to him and asked the preacher the question, a question many of us have heard before as well. How could a loving God send a person to hell? How could a loving God send a person to hell? Anybody ever heard that question before? Very common. The preacher heard the woman ask it and answered it this way. God sends no one to hell. In fact, God has done everything He can possibly do to keep everyone out of hell. John 3.16 says, For God so loved who? The world. What does the world mean? Everyone. Wouldn't you agree that everyone lives in the world? 
I don't see anybody living on Mars, at least not yet, right? We all live in the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's the most that God could do? He gave His only Son to die for our sin, to die in our place so we would not have to go to that horrible place of hell. However, if a person rejects that free gift of God, there is nothing more that God in all His power can possibly do to keep that person from going to that horrible place. No, a loving God sends no one to hell. But there is a hell that people go to all the time. She heard the message of judgment and she believed it. Her own family, not all of them believed it. The Bible says in Genesis 19, 14, the angel said, Up, get you out. I mean, Lot said to his family, Up, get you out of this place. For the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They heard it and they laughed at him. But Lot's wife didn't laugh. She believed the message of judgment. Not only did she believe the message of judgment, why, she started to make a move. Can I put it to you this way? She's in the pew. She's in the pew. And she's heard the message at imitation time. She believes what the preacher said. And the next thing she does is she steps out of the, uh, um, into the aisle and begins to go down to the altar. She takes the first step. After all, where did this woman die? Did she die in the city of Sodom or outside the city of Sodom? She, decided, she died outside the city of Sodom. Not only did she believe, but she began to make a first move. She's going down to the aisle. So what in the world happened? Why did she fail? And the Bible tells us. It's a simple statement. Look again at Genesis 19, verse 26. It says this, But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Why did she fail? And the answer is, she looked back. She looked back. What is, about, what is it about the backward look? What did the backward look indicate? When I was growing up and still today, I love to watch Westerns on TV. I love Gunsmoke. I like to watch uh, Bonanza. I like to watch Wanted Dead or Alive. Some of y'all may agree with those and enjoy watching them too. We can talk about it later. But I'll tell you a story from the Old West. There's a story that goes that there was a couple of there was a doctor sitting with his friend in one of those saloons, and beside them there was a bunch of people playing cards at a table. They were playing their hands, and pretty soon the hand was done, and a man gets up and he laughs and he starts walking out the door. The doctor turns to his friend and said, That man would not be laughing if he knew he only had six months left to live. The man said to the doctor, Is he your patient? He said, No, he's not my patient. I've never seen him before in my life. He said, then how in the world do you know that man has about six months left to live? He said, it's because of the way he walked out of the saloon. You see, it's not just the mere fact that she looked back, but it's what that backward look indicated. What did it indicate? It indicated this. The backward look indicated a divided heart. It was a divided heart. Her heart was divided against what God had said Safety in the hills and Sodom and everything Sodom was providing for. She had split her heart between loyalty to God and loyalty to the world. Even though she was, 
She was walking away from Sodom. She was still in love with everything that was going on. Life was calling her from the hills. Yet that sin and all the the functions of Sodom were calling her to remain. And with those two things pulling upon her, she turns around and looks back. And it's over for her. Divided heart. Jesus spoke of a divided heart in Luke chapter number 9, verse 62. He said this, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now we understand what the backward look indicated. Very quickly, I'm going to give you three points and we're going to stop. I'm going to tell you what the backward look, the divided heart, did to her life. What her divided heart did for her. Number one, if you're taking notes, I would recommend you write these down. Number one is this. Her divided heart robbed her of her joy. Her divided heart robbed her of her joy. You would think since death and disaster are about to fall upon Sodom, she would have been more than happy to be able to escape it and get to safety in the hills. After all, if you know the Titanic's going down and you have the opportunity to get a seat in the lifeboat, are you going to be upset about that? Or are you going to be happy about being able to get to safety? She wasn't. One of the saddest people ever recorded in the Bible, I believe, is Lot's wife making her way out of Sodom. She was just giving up too much that she loved. It robbed her of her joy. We, say, we see the exact same thing in church. And I hope I don't offend anybody, but we've seen some people get in church, they get saved, they get excited about it. They don't know any better. They hear about things going on in the church. They hear about visitation. They don't know what visitation is, but if the pastor says we as Christians should be at visitation, I'm going to show up at visitation. The pastor says, hey, we need someone to mop the floor in the bathroom. I don't know what that has to do with Christianity, but the pastor said we needed to do it. Give me a mop, pastor. Why, he shows up and he doesn't know any better but to sit in the front pew of the church and listen to what's going on. He's excited about it. He's amen in the pastor. Hey, he's got a smile on his face. Hey, when he leaves, he goes up and he shakes the hand of the pastor, telling him how much he enjoyed the message. That's a good member, wouldn't you agree? Hey, he's on fire, yet he's only been saved a couple of weeks. Yet we have another person. They're not up in the front. They sit further back. Let me make sure I'm not near somebody that's further back. There's an empty back row right here. This is her seat in the back row, or his seat. Not trying to offend the ladies. She's been a member of this church every year, 43 years she's been a Christian. She sits back here and she doesn't look preserved, she looks pickled. She's miserable, she's got a frown on her face. If the preacher goes one minute past 12, she's going to let the preacher know how much it disturbs her. She doesn't get anything out of the message, she backs into the parking space right at the top of the parking lot so she don't have to get in line behind anybody, she's going to be the first one out. Now, which one to you looks like they're further advanced in the Christian walk? Hmm? She's not happy. That man's excited. That man's on fire for God. That person in the back isn't doing anything for the Lord but complain. And that shows us the second thing that the divided heart does for us. Number one, it robs us of our joy. And number two, it retards our progress. It retards our progress. Look at the verse again, verse 26. What did the Bible say? But his wife looked back from where? Where was she? 
behind him. She's pulling up the rear. You see her divided heart slowed down her walk. Hey, she ain't running away. She's barely walking away. She doesn't want to leave. And because of that, Lot's ahead of her, her daughters are ahead of her, and she's pulling up the rear. You know, my life verse is 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, um, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Question. If you've ever watched any of those National Geographic shows, and you see a lion attack, did you know it's always the girl lion that does the killing? The guy lion just sits around and does nothing all day. Did you know that? <laughs> Guys, that's the life, right? You would probably say, the ladies probably saying, we're doing everything anyways. I don't know what you're talking about. We've always been doing everything. But which one of the animals, the gazelles that are running through the savannah, does the lion get? Is it the one that's the fastest, that's up in the front? No, it's that sick or that old one that just can't keep up with the pack. That's the one that the lion takes down. The devil is compared to a lion. And which person in the church do you think the devil's going to attack? The one that's on fire for God, that's doing something for God, or the one who's bringing up the rear? Easy pickings for the devil. Elijah was on Mount Carmel one day, a great contest between Baal and the Lord. And he asked the children of Israel on Mount Carmel this question, How long halt ye between two opinions? You know what? You're not making any advancement because your loyalty is divided between Jehovah and Baal. And you're not doing anything. You're not going anywhere. You're not accomplishing anything. Many times we make no progress in our Christian walk. Why? Because we've divided our loyalty between God and the world. I told you there were three things. Number one, her divided heart robbed her of her joy. Number two, number two, her divided heart retarded her progress. And finally, number three, her divided heart wrought her doom. Wrought her doom. The Bible says that she became a pillar of salt on the shores of the Dead Sea. I don't want you to think that her doom was simply becoming a pillar of salt. The pillar of salt was an indication to us. Brother uh, Cody put this picture up. He had found it, and I said when I saw it, perfect picture for Lot's wife. I want you to look at that for a minute. What God did that day on the banks of the Dead Sea where Sodom was being destroyed is He created a spiritual photograph of her life. He created a spiritual photograph of her life. Look at her in that picture. Her feet are pointed away from the destruction. And the rest of her body is twisted to look back at the destruction of the city. And in that position, God froze her for all time. A picture, a spiritual photograph, 4,000 years old, revealed to us to show her what kind of person she was when she died. She was twisted between the world and God. That's the picture. And the doom wasn't just merely physical. It was spiritual. She gave up. She wasted her life all for things that would not last. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Some of y'all have heard of this city in, in Italy. It's called Pompeii, an ancient city of Rome. Back in the first century, it was a resort city, much the way Orlando, Florida, or 
Las Vegas, Nevada would be to our country today. It was a place where everybody would go to have fun for entertainment. One day in the first century, a mountain nearby, they didn't realize it was a volcano, erupted. Mount Vesuvius. No one had ever seen it erupt in their lifetime or in recorded history. But it blew up that day. And that day, it buried the city of Pompeii under 20 feet of pumice and ash. In fact, the city of Pompeii throughout history after that became forgotten. Some people would hear about it and they said it was a city like the city of Atlantis. It really wasn't real. Just a story they would tell people about. And then about 300 years ago, a man was digging um, for a well outside the city of Naples for his farm. And as he was digging, he came up upon an empty space in the ground and he reached into it and he pulled out a shard of pottery, he pulled out some coins, he pulled out some other pieces of statuary and he said, I don't know what this is, but somebody may have buried a treasure. He tells the mayor about it. They all come out and start digging. And they began to find these empty spaces with gold and silver, jewels, bits and pieces of metal, pottery and so on and so forth. They had discovered an ancient city that had been lost. About a century later, they come upon a building and they look at the cornerstone of the building and engraved into the cornerstone are these words. The city of Pompeii. And they realize that city that was lost to history has finally been discovered. Why the statues and things they pulled out of Pompeii began to decorate the palaces of kings and emperors throughout Europe. And they continued to dig, and they always would come upon these empty spaces. They didn't exactly know what they were. Somebody had the idea. How about we pour plaster of Paris or cement into these empty spaces and see what the thing is after we dig around it? They did. They filled up the hole. They let it harden. They dug around it. And what they found there was the shape of a person who had died in the destruction of Pompeii. You could see the agony on their faces, the shock, many of them with their mouths open in fear. They found these all over the place, and you can go to Pompeii today and see these um, weird pieces of statue that used to be people throughout the city. Let me tell you about two of them. One's an interesting picture. They found him at the gate of the city of Pompeii. He apparently was a Roman soldier. They had found pieces of metal pieces of his uniform, still there, though rusted. And they realized something. This man died without falling down. He died standing up. And from what they could gather, he was standing at attention. Arm up against him like he was holding a spear. Standing at attention right when the city was destroyed and the ash and the pumice fell so fast upon him that his body didn't even have the chance to fall over before he was encased in that. We don't know what the man's name is. But I can tell you something about his character. You know, that man had the character of faithfulness, Brother Jack. He was there at his position doing his duty until the very end. What a statement about him. We don't know his name, but I can tell you something about his character. Not too far from that person was another person that was destroyed. This person was within the city gate just behind the man. And when they did it, she was positioned in a weird shape. Her feet were pointed forward, and she had bent over and was reaching back to something that was just outside of her grasp. They didn't know exactly what it was, so they dug a little further. And what they found laying near her, behind her, was a pile of pearls. 
Probably the pouch that had carried it had long ago dissolved away, but the pearls were still sitting there. And what they had um, figured out was this. She was running away, maybe carrying the pearls, or maybe she saw them fall, but as she was running away, the, she saw the pearls falling on the ground, and even though destruction was coming, she stops, and she reaches back, and before she could even grab the pearls, the city destroyed her. Volcano destroyed her. And she was gone. I don't know her name either, but I can tell you something about her. She had the character of grasping greed. She lost her life for something that amounted not to much in the, in the scale of eternity. She gave up her life for a pile of pearls. My question to you is this. Well, how are you living? How are we living today? Have we given our heart to Jesus as the old hymn? We don't sing it very much anymore. There used to be a hymn called, Give Me Thy Heart. Give me thy heart. Call out of darkness from darkness to depart. The Lord calls for us to give Him our heart. Have we truly given our heart to Jesus? Or are we dividing our heart between the world and God? If you're doing that, I promise you this, you're not going to be a happy Christian. If you're doing that, you're not going to progress in the Christian walk. And I promise you this, if you continue that way as a Christian, you're going to waste your life. Something you could do for Jesus Christ. Why don't we be like Joshua? Joshua said at the end of the book of Joshua, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the gods that our fathers worshipped before the flood? Or will you worship Jehovah? He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. My question for you today is this. Will you make a choice? Will you give Jesus, not 50%, not 75%. God wants 100% of our heart. Will you choose to follow after Him? If you will, then let's make that decision today. Let's all stand. As the instrumentalists come to play, Brother Randy's going to come with a verse of a hymn. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you'd like to come down here and say, Lord, I don't want to be satisfied with just giving you 50%. I want to give you 100%. I'm laying my heart, my life, down here at the altar. It's yours. Do with it as you will. I promise you, if you will give 100% commitment to Jesus Christ, you'll be a happy Christian. If you'll give 100% commitment to Jesus Christ, you'll be an advanced, mature Christian. And I promise you, you will not waste your life for Him. Let's give the Lord our heart.